I should be on now. As Larry brought us around the Lord's table this morning, he mentioned the veil and asked us to focus in on that because we can pass by it so quickly and not understand how significant it is that that barrier was broken. The veil shows up, <clears throat> shows up in uh, different forms throughout the development of the tabernacle and the temple. You have Moses' tabernacle. You have uh, Solomon's temple. Then you have the temple of Zerubbabel after they return from the exile. And eventually that gets uh, built up into Herod's temple, which is what they had at the time of Jesus when the veil was torn in two from top to bottom. The, um, the passage in Mark says it uh, quite basically. There will be some things added in in Matthew and Luke, but I want to take a look at this since we've just studied Mark. In Mark 15, the narrative goes like this. And understand, Mark is, has got like one eye on the cross, and then over here he's got another eye on what's happening in the temple. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That's important. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. What's happening on the cross is connected to what happened in the temple when that barrier is broken. The curtain veil is described by the historian Josephus in his book, The Jewish Wars. And, and Josephus saw this veil. He, he would have been familiar with it. He describes it as a Babylonian curtain embroidered with blue and fine linen and scarlet and purple of a contexture that was truly wonderful. Nor was this mixture of colors without its mystical interpretation, but was a kind of image of the universe for by the scarlet there seemed to be enigmatically signified fire, by the fine flax the earth, and by the blue the air, and by the purple the sea. That Josephus has a way with words. I like reading Josephus. I find him to be a little precious at times, but this is, this is he goes into all of this detail and gives us this rich experience of what it must have been like. And he goes on and on talking about everything that was in the temple. And then you feel the pain of it as he talks about how all of that is destroyed. But the curtain, though it may have been replaced after the death of Jesus, was torn before the end of the temple in 70 A.D. Now that, that curtain had to be replaced and repaired and cleaned from time to time. And there's even descriptions of how many priests it would take to manage that cleaning. Uh, they say it was nearly 300. But here's this curtain, and I don't know, you know, maybe you're thinking of something sort of like what's behind this screen or, or you know, something in your own house. You hear a curtain, you hear a veil. You may think of some, you know, wispy, diaphanous thing that hangs in a window. It's 60 feet high. It's 30 feet wide. It's a thick tapestry, colorful, embroidered, symbolic, and it divided the most holy place from the holy place. Here's an American flag that is 60 by 30 being hung on a bridge in Michigan. 
Notice that you've got these workers holding it down straight as it's being lifted up by a crane to fly in that span of the bridge. That's 60 by 30. That'll give you an idea of the size of this curtain. And you then imagine the size of the building in which this curtain hangs. Here's a diagram of the, uh, of the temple. And what you see here is inside, deep inside, the most holy place and the holy place. And that curtain, that huge 60 by 30 curtain would have been right there dividing this. This is the area where the high priest can only go once a year on the Day of Atonement. And then out here in the holy place, only the priests may serve in here. And then you have the court of the priests, which really is the court of the priests and the Levites. And then you have the court of Israel, where Israelite men could go, just men, but they had to be purified. And then you have the court of the women. This is where the Israelite women could go. And then the court of Gentiles for everyone who is not an Israelite. And what you see are concentric rings closing in on God. And yet, some people can only go so far. Right now, as you see this this target, these concentric rings, don't look at the center out, but look at the outside moving in. If you're a non-Israelite, this is as close as you can get to the presence of God. If you're an Israelite woman, this is as close as you can get to the presence of God. If you're among the Israelite men, but you're not a priest or a Levite, this is as close as you can get. And so forth with the Levites, the priests, and finally the high priest, the only one who can go in there. God is always one step, at least one step removed from all of us. And for some of us, more than that. That is the temple system. This is the temple system that Jesus had a word about to the fig tree when He cursed it. You'll remember that from our reading in Mark. And in Hebrews, we read this. After the death of Jesus perhaps even after the destruction of the temple, that we did not need, where where you've got the, the writer saying, we don't have to have that temple on earth to have this relationship with God. He says, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. And by His death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let's go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting in Him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Now I want you to... Think about this for a second, because Larry, when he was leading us around the Lord's Supper table, said, sometimes we take that image of the veil for granted. We just kind of move on because we're very familiar with it. And we can get very familiar and take for granted and get jaded about this opportunity that we have, this invitation to go into heaven's most holy place because of His blood. Do we really grasp what it is that we're being invited into? 
We have a high priest who rules over the house of God, a king and a priest. Let's go into his presence with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. And yet sometimes we will still cry out, oh, we're not worthy. That's a true statement, but that's not a statement worthy of preventing us to be in his presence when he has called us there. Think about that. Our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to, to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. And yet sometimes we'll say, oh, I don't know. I'm just really not sure that I'm going to make it into heaven. I'm just really not sure that I, I really truly am saved. And what more assurance do you need than the blood of Christ and the washing in the water, the baptism into Christ Jesus. And what I'm saying is, I'm not saying that we should become arrogant. I'm saying that we don't need to disqualify ourselves before we've even taken one step into the race. Things are very different, and yet we try to bring that temple system back, at least theoretically or metaphorically. I mean, here is that temple system where you've got all these concentric rings. Who can come near to God? And we try to reason this out and we think, well, you know, some of us are a little more righteous than others. I mean, we even do it in the things that we do. People don't like to come up into this space right here. Why? Because they think they're going to have to preach. And yet, God is not any more here than he is out there sitting next to you or he is out there with you watching us online wherever you're at the difference is is that we're all here and God is here and he was here before us God in fact by tearing that temple has said I know you like to think that I have a room here where you can't get close to me. And in the beginning, that was the case. If you read Leviticus, God says, okay, there's going to have to be some rules. There's going to have to be some rules about you coming into my holy presence. And understand, that wasn't because God is a snowflake and might get offended or wounded. It's because if we don't, exercise a certain level of caution we could die <laughs> but Christ has taken care of all that now Christ has taken care of the danger God ripped the veil and he spread out and notice that the edges are fuzzy because the edges are never complete God continues to extend his presence into the world over and over again through Christ through the church that comes and centers around Jesus Christ and that boundary of the church is never an outward boundary but it's defined by the center if you want to know who we are then we say well we can't really show you the edges of our body but we'll show you the head We'll show you the head of the body, and that's who we are. And as we come to know Him more, we get closer and closer to Him in the center. And we exist in the world, but we're not of the world. Because the world is over and over again being transformed into His likeness. 
And yet, we still want to erase all that and go back to this sometimes. Let's get this all back in order. Let's get this all lined out. We're getting all sloppy on the edges and we need to get those edges defined. Put God back in the center and then we'll figure out who gets close and who doesn't. Who's in and who's out. And the thing is, God's business is who's in and who's out. Our business is to figure out what it means to be in God and to obey. And that's why we trust that God has extended out and made Himself known to us. Christ, the church, the world, becoming more and more like Him in the center, our high priest, who doesn't just go to God once a year, but is always in the presence of God, and yet He's always with us. We have a direct line. And do you know how important that is? So, think about this. If this is true, and it can wash over us like sometimes, I mean, sometimes it comes to us as the best news we've ever heard, and I hope that's what you're hearing today. Sometimes it can wash over us like, I don't know, like tax code or financial reports or something like that, and we just tune out. Well, it's as if Charlie Brown's teacher is telling you all of this, and all you hear is wah, 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 wah. Why would we go back to that other way of doing things? I'm going to give you three reasons. Number one, we're afraid of being changed. Change is scary. It's easier to sit on the edge, to sit in the back, to sit outside the ring, and to cri criticize it all. Or if you want to be a little friendlier and not seem like such a, 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 a harsh person, you say it in French. We're going to critique it. So we're going to critique everything. Well, that was right, and that was wrong, and that was right, and that was wrong. But we're at a safe distance, and we don't have to risk anything. It's hard to admit that we don't like change and that we might be afraid of being changed because it can be uncomfortable to change, but God changes things for the good. That's what salvation's all about. Second, I think we like to go back to this way of doing things because we believe sometimes it's our job to protect God. That we have to put Him in the center and surround Him. We have to defend Him. We defend our faith and we defend what we believe. We have an answer for what we believe. But we don't have to protect God. He doesn't need our protection. We, we don't have to protect God from criticism. You know, the world can say some hateful and mean things about God. He can take it. The world can reject God. And that may break our hearts and it breaks His heart too. But He can take it. Because at the center of our faith is the story of a Savior who was rejected by those that He loved. And yet, God still made it a victory. He was not stopped in His attempt to save us. But sometimes we have to protect God from disappointment. From the disappointment of the world and even our own disappointment. Sometimes it's just easier. 
Because if we stand out here on the outer rings and God disappoints us and doesn't give us what we've hoped for or what we've asked for, or bad things happen that we don't think should have happened, instead of going to God, we can just stand on the outside and say, well, that's the problem. God's so far away. I guess I didn't, my message didn't get to Him. God's holy. I can't understand it. I don't know. Well, you know, it's not for me to say. I'm just going to move on. And then we live our lives as if there is no God, even though we try to convince ourselves that we do believe. When you read the Psalms over and over, when you see the faithfulness of even His Son, Jesus Christ, who on the on the cross, uses the words of Psalm 22 to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Take your disappointment to God. Because there's not an insurmountable path of rings and steps and processes you have to go to because He has come to us through Christ. We are His body, the church. And even when we find ourselves lost out in the world with our disappointment, He's right there. And we can take our disappointment to Him. Third reason why it's so tempting to go back and keep God at a distance is because sometimes we want to control access to God. We want worship our way. We want ministry to be our way. We want our understanding to be the only way. We want to set the boundaries. You may have heard of Chuck Colson. Uh, he, he died some years back, but he was an operative in the Nixon White House. He was a member of the Dirty Trick Squad that carried off some of the, um, the criminal deeds of the Watergate scandal. Chuck Colson was put in prison. He was converted to Christianity, and he became a defender of Christian faith thereafter. Colson said that one of the things about the Nixon White House was that the people in power that got arrogant and addicted to that power would control access to the White House. That was how they got their power, was by controlling access to the center. And sometimes we want to try to do that in religion. Well, we've got to control access. It's up to us. We're responsible. Sometimes it might be our own sense of selfish control. Sometimes it might be overwhelming fear on our part that we're anxious about it all but when i read verses like hebrews 9, uh, 10 and you see what god is doing it seems like god is saying you be obedient i'll handle the access you be obedient come to me i'll control the access to me god doesn't need us to set his schedule to keep his itinerary or decide for him. He will not be sequestered or contained. You know, in Ezekiel 1, when the temple of Solomon is destroyed, there's a crisis of faith among the people of God. I mean, what does this mean? I mean, if this, if this system that, that they were so familiar with is torn down, if it's being invaded by the Babylonians, now what? How do you get to God? You can't get the high priest in there anymore. Now what are we going to do? And they had to handle this. They had to handle this then and think about, well, what does it mean if we're following God in a very changing, very uncertain world? And God sent prophets like Ezekiel. And of course, here comes Ezekiel. And the first thing Ezekiel does is he tells his story about seeing a UFO. Ezekiel 1. You know the song, Ezekiel saw the wheel. 
you've probably heard legends now, and it'll show up. It'll, since I'm mentioning it now, it'll show up on your smartphones. Evidence of how, you know, yeah, because they're listening to me. You may not be, but your phone is. And, and there will be stories of how God it, it, it came in a UFO, and Ezekiel saw a UFO, and this is all the work of aliens. You know. That's not what that is. The wheels within the wheels and the strange creatures, that's God's chariot. That's God's car. He's got a, he's got a car. He, he's got a mode of transportation. And he comes to Ezekiel on the banks of the river and he says, oh, by the way, everybody's worried because my house got torn down over there, Ezekiel. This is in the Benjamin paraphrase. He says, everybody's worried because it got all torn down. He says, don't worry about that, Ezekiel. I took off quite a while ago. In fact, I'm in my car and I'm going to drive around the world and get to know some of the neighbors out there because you need to understand, I'll go where I want to and you can't put me in a box. This is happening because you folks think that this is the way to control access to me. And Ezekiel, I can go anywhere I want. And that's how they come to grips with the fact that God has moved out into the world. That's what that broken barrier that torn veil is all about god has drawn near to us why would we not want to draw near to him you know when we preach and we we talk about these things and we come near to god in the communion we also come near to god in baptism and i'd hate for anybody to miss out on the opportunity to be close to god as god wills you need to decide. You need to decide how important it is to you to be that close to God. Could it change you? You bet. Will it change you for the good? It certainly will. Could it be challenging? It might, but it's worth it. I don't know why it wouldn't be. Why, why would we want anything less? But you can get rid of the burden of feeling like you have to protect and control and defend and instead, just know the joy of being an obedient servant of Jesus Christ, our high priest, who dwells in the presence of God in heaven. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that you would encourage us this day, knowing that every day that we come together, especially when we come together on the Lord's Day, you have made your presence known among us, and you invite us into your presence. Now, Father, as we assemble and are sent out we're not going away from your presence we're just following your presence through the world that you love and that you created and we have the opportunity to joyous declare joyously declare your praises to declare the light that shines in the darkness this is our prayer in the name of jesus our high priest amen